0: I'll be reading from Hebrews verses 1 through 4. You want to follow along in your prayer, uh, Pew Bible, page 218. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Remember that scripture that Fred just read because although it doesn't sound like a uh, scripture that is read around Christmas time, it tells us something about Jesus, a lot about Jesus that we need to remember. And um, I'll read it again later on towards the end of the sermon. So the question I'm bringing forth this morning is why did God need Christmas to save the world? Uh, We sometimes forget that the entire story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection is the story of salvation. Not just the cross itself, but everything that Jesus uh, came and did, everything about his life pointed directly to that cross and is part of our salvation story. But the question is, was it really necessary for uh, God to come in the flesh, to come incarnate? To bring us his saving, redeeming grace. Why did he have to come? Most people, if you did a survey, would say the logical thing for God to do about the woeful state of humanity and its sin dilemma would have been to simply wipe out away all our sins. Pretend that that apple and snake thing never happened. That works for me. You just take a spiritual bottle of Windex and you uh, spray it, some paper towels, voila. Our souls are squeaky clean. In fact, that is probably the most popular solution to sin and salvation among humans today. God waves a hand and declares, everyone's forgiven. Hitler and Stalin and Jack the Ripper and every sin-filled one of us. No repentance, no redemption, no reconciliation, no accountability, no faith, no manger, no cross, no tomb, no Lord and Savior. How hard could that be, God? God. A simple solution that makes us all happy. Just pretend it never happened. Or here's another simple solution to our sin problem. Why not just order armies of heaven's angels to wipe out Satan's dark forces of evil like an Avengers movie on steroids? Boom, bang, bad guys gone, everything solved. It seems to me that there are plenty of plans and strategies that could have saved us and brought us back into God's fold without having to go through a Christmas manger and Calvary's cross. If God had used a polling company to survey us clever human beings and get our ideas, I'm sure he would have come up with a billion variations on ways to solve the problem. None of which would have required God to have his, born, his son born in a slipshod barn in a sleepy village with smelly shepherds. None of which would have required the sacrifice of His Son on a splintered Roman cross. But it turns out that if we study God's Word closely and thoroughly, all of our human-derived quick and easy plans and our strategies are fatally flawed. They may get us off the hook for our sins with cheap grace and no accountability, but they do not restore the relationship between our holy God and us, his wayward children. It turns out that the only path that restores our relationship with God and each other on a foundation of love and grace and forgiveness is the path that runs through the manger and to the cross of Calvary. The path of risk and vulnerability, the very human mortal path that requires God to entrust his son to Joseph and Mary. That requires God to prove his love to us by being willing to climb Mount Calvary with a cross on his back. The path that forever seals our trust and our love for our God and draws us to him. Only a manger filled with hope and a cross-bearing savior and a grave overcome by the power of God's redeeming love could win us back from the enslaving power of sin. The path God chose recognizes the spirit of sin and rebellion that dominates the fallen human heart. When God sent prophets to turn us away from our sin, what did we do? We stoned and we persecuted them. When he created laws for us to live by that would prosper and bless us, our twisted imaginations conceived of devious ways to ignore them. We created a million exceptions to the rules and cultivated cultures that are drowning in corrupted sex and power and politics that harden our hearts to the needs of the poor and the suffering, that encourage numb indifference to the violence and the murder and the death around us. How could God win such a corrupt world back from the devil? Well, the Bible tells us the answer, clearly, unambiguously. His plan begins in a humble major in an occupied country with a paranoid king. It transforms the cross, a tool of Roman execution, into the emblem of humanity's salvation. His plan of salvation thunders with resurrection power at Easter and culminates in glorious triumph at Christ's return and victory. In God's plan, he would send his son into the world, not as a 21-year-old, fully formed adult, descending From the skies, but as an embryo in a woman's womb. As a claustrophobic, I would never volunteer to spend nine months in my mother's (laughs) womb again. I would never want to repeat the experience of entering the world screaming from the trauma of being forced through a birth canal. I remember it well. It wasn't pleasant. And that barn that Jesus was born in, it must have smelled like a barn. Imagine the first thing in this world your sense of smell encounters is donkey manure. At least today you have the option of being born in a delivery room. Even if it does have that antiseptic smell. I personally would prefer that every baby should be delivered in an Arby's where they can smell the roast beef. So... So why does God bring Jesus into the world in this very human, very painful way? It's because His message of salvation through Jesus only works if we know that Jesus was human in every way, from birth to death, from the manger to the cross to the tomb. In Hebrews 4.15, part of our scripture this morning, we are told uh, that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses because He was tempted in every way, just as we are. The only difference is that he did not succumb to those temptations. He did not sin. I love the words of the hymn, There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. You see, that doesn't happen if there's no manger. It doesn't happen if there's no Christmas, no birth in Bethlehem. That's the only way Jesus knows all about our struggles. Jesus can guide us because Jesus knows and he knows knows us and he knows what it means to be human. The book of Hebrews goes to great lengths to describe to us why God had to send Jesus to die for our salvation. For centuries, God's people had sacrificed bulls and goats, sheep, birds, all to delay God's punishment for their sin and rebellion. But none of those sacrifices could accomplish, we're told in the book of Hebrews, what the death of Jesus Christ, the perfect unblemished land, what that death accomplished. In the end, for all the righteousness to be fulfilled, for justice to be done, for the human race to be reconciled with its creator, Jesus had to come into the world as a living witness to God's truth and mercy and grace and righteousness. And he had to offer his very life as the ultimate witness. To God's love. That's why God needed Christmas. That's why we still need Christmas. Not as a vehicle for romantic hallmark movies. But so that we might see the very moment when Jesus is born into the world. And begins that 33 year journey toward the cross and our salvation. So that we might gather every year during this season. And rejoice in wonder at the beauty of God's perfect plan of salvation. The great Christmas Carol O Holy Knight puts it this way. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Till the soul felt its worth. Christmas reminds us that we are loved and that we have worth. Even when the world says you aren't worthy of that job or that degree. Even when your friends and even your dog abandon you. Even when that special person in your life says, I don't love you anymore, you are still loved. You have worth. And who is it who loves and values you? It is the newborn king in the manger. It is the Lamb of God on the cross. It is the Savior walking out of that tomb. Jesus just, he just could have pronounced everybody forgiveness, him, right? Let's go back to that for a moment. He could have just set us all down on the hillside and said, okay, before I go back to heaven, one last thing. Everyone is forgiven. All of your sins are forgiven. You can have eternal life. You can go to heaven when you die. Spread the good news. No cross. He didn't have to die on that cross, right? Why not choose the easy path? The Bible tells us that The reason God chose the cross was because in His death is indisputable proof of God's love. This is how we know that God loves us. That He gave His Son, His only Son, to die for us. In His death is the precious blood that cleanses us from all sin. In His death, He breaks sin's chains and He rolls back the stone that frees us to live in the light. To know without doubt that he alone holds the keys of death and the grave. The Bible goes to great lengths to reveal to us the ultimate power of that babe born in a manger. Today's scripture reading tells us that he is the one through whom God will speak to us in these final days. He's the heir of all things and through him God created the universe. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. Through the words of the one born in a manger, all things are sustained and held together. Through him our sins are made pure. He is the one who sits on the throne of heaven and reigns over every being on earth and heaven. The great preacher Samuel Lockridge, who I have quoted on uh, previous Easter seasons, described Jesus like this. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And His yoke is easy. And His burden light. I wish I could describe Him to you. Yet He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get Him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your head, you can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave could not hold him. I wonder if you know him. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, two of our three children and their families were able to be with us for about a week. It was a crowded house, and Lydia slept in our unfinished basement with our granddaughter, Annie. They fixed it all up with nice little curtains around to make this little place. I had some leftover wood flooring that I, I kind of connected down there and put a little bit of a half floor for them as they slept on, their, on the, on the uh, air mattress. For Annie, it was a little princess cabin in the woods. Me, I was sleeping with our dog out in our camper in the driveway. (laughs) With so many people around and being exiled out to that camper, it was kind of easy to feel forgotten in the crowd. But one morning I was sitting in our den and I heard my three-year-old grandson, Andre, coming down the stairs. After he reached the bottom of the stairs, he cried out, Where's Grandpa? He then walked through the living room, the dining room, the kitchen, asking the same question over and over Where's Grandpa? And I heard Lydia say it one time. She says, He's around here somewhere. Andre kept searching until he came to the door of the den. He looked in, saw me sitting there, and he yelled out, Hi, Grandpa! I answered, Hi, Andre. And then he said, I love you, Grandpa. And I answered, I love you too, Andre. I think that's the answer. Why do we need Christmas? In that manger is God's love in the flesh. Crying out a message from God. I love you, my children. And his eternal hope is that our response will be, I love you too, Father. Let us pray. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in and be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels Their great glad tidings tell. O come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord. Emmanuel. Amen.